Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows, I'm the director of Snowbro Ski School based here in uh, the Port de Soleil in Switzerland. I uh, hope you're all well in these strange times. I'm not going to go on any more um, about this uh, current coronavirus uh, crisis because we've heard more than enough uh, about it up to this point. Um, so what we're going to do is um, I'm going to tell you straight away about the interview um, that I've got coming up. Um, I had a chance to have a chat with Joe Beer. Uh, Joe um, runs his own ski school called Alpine Learning Curves in uh, Leger, in the Port de Soleil, also uh, on the French side. And um, and Joe has been um, a big influence on my skiing, uh, the way I think about skiing, and um, and, uh, and and also somewhat of a mentor. I'm quite inspired by Joe every time I meet him. So uh, so it was really really great to be able to get him um, on a on on the podcast. And and um, and I think the interview that we've we've managed to come out up with is um, is sort of reflective of of that relationship that we have. So uh, so I had an absolutely terrific time um, having a having a chat with Joe. Um, we uh, we did our usual thing where we, we, we sort of asked him about how he got into the industry. Um, Joe's formative years were all, all spent in Andorra, so we go on and talk about that as well. And uh, and a couple of the people that were, were sort of influences on, on him at that time. So uh, so enjoy this first half here. Um, I hope you're all well where you are and, uh, and uh, I'll catch you uh, somewhere in the middle. Uh, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast, Joe Beer, aka Joe Savetta. How are you? I'm good, mate. Uh, back in the UK, uh, escaped from France, and uh, in the sunshine in my bedroom. <laughs> That's very nice. So, t- tell me your. Uh, we went through this with Malcolm on the last podcast. So, tell me your escape story. I know we just went went through it off air, but let's uh, t- tell me that. So, you were you you're you're teaching normally in Leger, Morzine, Navoria, that part of the Port de Soleil. And you were based in Labio, and 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 then they locked down the country. So, what's your? Uh, how did you get back to the UK? Uh, well, I was in the process of moving to a new flat as well, which was pretty stressful. Um, but every policeman I bumped into was really friendly and helpful. I didn't bump into that many, to be honest with you. And um, as long as you had that piece of paper, that attestation, yeah, you, uh, they just sort of weighed you through. Um, so I chatted to one guy and just said, look, I'm moving. That's why I got a car full of crap. And uh, <laughs> you know, I said, like, on the way back, it'll be empty. And, um, and then I said, and I'm leaving for the UK in the morning. He went, well, don't worry about it. I'm just going to get a paper on you, other person. You'll probably be fine. And I bumped into one police car at a, an air having a kit. And um, same thing. Just looked at the bit of paper. I went, what are you doing? I went, I'm going back home. Um, back to England because my wife's there and said, well, good journey, stay safe, way, way I went. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, um, now let's do a bit a bit of the start that sort of says all about Joe. So so you're from, if I remember rightly, you're from Paddington, aren't you? The West End of, uh, of London. Uh, well, I'm from London. Um, right. I'm from Hoban originally. Sorry, Hoban, in, right, okay. Born in Hoban, which is... Technically, the West End, West Central One. Yeah. 
and then I moved to EC1. So I'm a West Ender and an East Ender at the same point. Okay. Um, but basically lived in the city all my life, you know, all my young life before I started skiing. And how how does how does a guy like that from from cent, you know inner London? And I'm I'm sort of the same. I'm from North London in Enfield. How how do how do guys like us end up on you know living on snow for a living? Uh, well, short story is uh, I used to horse ride. I, I was a keen, really keen footballer, you know, very very keen footballer. Yeah. And then when I met my now wife, she was into horse riding. She got me into horse riding, and I got absolutely hooked on it. I couldn't believe it. I gave up football to ride horses. Really? Yeah, and I, I, I was so smitten by riding horses. It was unbelievable. All our holidays were horse riding in New Forest, and a week here and a week there. And, and then the people we used to ride regularly with, they were keen skiers. And they said to me, you know, we're going skiing. I was about 22 at the time. They were, we're going skiing to a place called Andorra. Yeah. You should come with us because two people have pulled out and we need two people to replace them. And I just looked at Babs and went, is he joking or what? <laughs> and it's, this guy had to talk me into going skiing for the first time. Yeah. And literally within sliding on snow for about you know, 100 metres, yeah. I was hooked. Absolutely hooked within the first run. <laughs> and then, luckily the next year I got made redundant. I was an electrician. Right. And... My wife, my wife, who was my girlfriend, then said, what are you going to do with that three grand you just got from being uh, made redundant? I went, I know exactly what we're doing. We're going skiing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we became waiters, and then um, you know, I got to know everybody in the ski school in uh, Andorra. Yeah. And uh, the boss used to train us in a thing that was called the Spuds at the time. Right. He's really good deal. And I just said to him at the end of that season, I said, look, if I go and do my basic course, will you give me a job? And he went, yep. Yeah. So I went, fantastic. So that was me. Is there, the, I, I've got, I've got to ask this because I'm, 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 I've, listeners to the podcast will, will have known that I rattle on all the time about, uh, the similarities between being on a motorbike and skiing, uh, in terms of crossing over, um, from one side to the other, uh, Blah blah blah. Is there any parallels between riding horses and skiing? There's loads, mate. I mean, um, I, I, as you know, I've written a book, and um, there's a bit in it which talks about crossover skills from different uh, or similarities from different sports. Yeah. So it picks up along the way um, because the way I teach people is to try and find some kind of common ground to, you know, because most people would, especially beginners, you know, to be, be honest with you, almost a lot of people. They don't really have, you know, like ski terminology. They don't. They don't actually understand that. So if I can find something, whether it be cross stitching or painting or whatever it might be, I try and find something that you know makes it sense to them. So, yeah. You know, like um, anybody who's a horse rider on there, like the the basic idea of turning a horse, they would think it's to do with the reins. Yeah. Well, it, all the invisible aids that turn a horse, it's a thing called leg on. You know, impulsion, what you're doing with your buttocks, what you're doing with the way you're sitting on the horse, really? anticipation, you know, where you're looking. Uh, so, you know, if I say to a horse rider, you know, leg on on a horse, steers the horse, you know, whereas shin on, light shin on, it's a really well-scored horse. And if you just lightly, you know, place your shin to the inside of the boot, you know, and stand in the right place on your foot like you would on a stirrup, 
you know, yeah. when you heal down, then the, you, would, you would tell the ski what to do. It's just like a very, very well-skilled horse. Really? So, you know, those kind of parallels just, you know, come up to me all the time. And if it's a sport that I know nothing about, you know, I've never ridden a motorbike since yeah. the time I was, you know, 15 when my mate had a, a, a Suzuki Fizzy, yeah. which we all jump on or a, or a, um, you know, little uh, putt-putt, whatever they're called, you know, Vespa. Yeah. Um, so I know nothing about riding a motorbike, but I can see the parallels when I watch it because I'm a massive MotoGP fan. Yeah. Um, you know, all that thing of like being inside and, you know, elbow down, knee down, hip down, whatever it might be. Yeah. You can see the parallels. And so, you know, I talk to people that do ride motorbikes and I try and have, be armed with some kind of stuff. If I do get a, a uh, motorbike rider. Mm. And I've got a really interesting story for you here. I taught a guy, and you, know, you must find this as well, and everybody does, you very rarely in a lesson ski flat out. Rarely. Rarely. Yeah, very. I, I, I think I've had one guy ever. Who well, I I've had a like... few guys, but the best one I ever had, I had this guy, and I went, I went, what do you want to do? And he went, well, I like going fast. He said, but I realise this thing's wrong with my techniques. I went, okay. So I sort of went out and went sort of 50% because he was a good skier mm. on a run, halfway down the red run. This is up in Avorias. There's a really long sort of black red run up there. Mm. Uh, so I opened it up to sort of 75%. Look behind me, he was still right there with his nose like an inch <laughs> from my backside. So I opened it up to 85% and he was still there. And I opened it up to him. In the end, I thought myself in my head, I went, right, full ball. I just went full ball full carving yeah. turns you know, all the way down to the bottom. And it's quite steep at the bottom before you get to the flat bit. Yeah. When I pulled over, I, he was right behind me. And I, I could see that he wasn't, you know, he was good, but he wasn't that good, you know. Yeah. And I went, oh, I said, you've got no problems with speed. And he went, well, you're not going fast yet. <laughs> and I went, I went, mate, I was full bore there. I couldn't have gone any faster other than going straight. And he went, yeah, but he said, that's not fast. And I went, what do you do for a living? He went, I run uh, the um, MotoGP team. <laughs> 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 he said, I run uh, Alvear Boost Bautista and um, those guys. Oh, from, wow. uh, and I went, oh, my God. I said, like, you're, you're used to going around the corner at like 140 miles an hour. We're just going around like about 50 or 60. Yeah, miles. yeah. And uh, But he had loads of things that we could work on, uh, as you would with anybody you, you encounter. Yeah. So... He was brilliant, man. It was, a, it was such a good thing to ski with him, and I ended up teaching him and his family for a little while. Yeah. And obviously went to see the MotoGP you know, under his um, you know, tickets and that, which oh, was great. Oh, cool. That's really great. That's really yeah. great. It's, um, it's, it's funny that, isn't it? I, I don't know whether – I'm sure everyone does this. I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel, but it's one of the first things you do when you meet a new client, isn't it? You just say to them, hey, do you do any other sports? You know, yeah. and, and, and I'm grateful really for anyone who says any kind of answer that is, is sporting. The ones that I don't, that, that are always a bit difficult, I think, to teach is those people who don't do anything physical whatsoever. So if people, you know, they, you know, even if they don't go to the gym or they don't do, you know, don't do anything. You know, I like to sit and play video games in my spare time or I like to, you know, sit and watch tv so okay well that those lessons are a little bit more difficult but if anyone says anything like oh i play tennis or i go to the gym or i do yoga or i play hockey or you know golf or whatever anything like that you can use parallels 
from all of those sports um, in order to help you teach. My advice to you, Dave, is to try and find the, the, the parallels that would be on an Xbox controller because mm. there's, there's, there's coordination and there's all kinds of stuff there that you could use. But you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't give you one. <laughs> no. But if, if I had some you know, computer geek, and I must have had computer geeks before, but yeah. you, know, you just might find something that, you know, I don't know, the rotation button on a thing. I don't know. You know it's funny, actually. When I've had kids who are into video gaming, uh, video gaming, that makes me sound old, doesn't it? Gaming, I guess. Um, exactly. is, <laughs> is, uh, is, is I've often, kids that are really, really into that, but not that physical, I've tried to turn their lesson into a sort of game like that. So, you know, yeah. you get points for doing certain things or, or whatever. And that's that's worked really well, actually. Um, yeah, but it's... So always a crossover, always. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. if you Like I say, I think teaching skiing is a mental game mainly, isn't it? And, and if you can find those parallels for the client, that's, uh, that's, that's always going to be useful. Um, I call like finding the way in or, you know... Yeah. Opening up the world to them so they can see that it's, it's as, as simple as you want to do. You know, you press that cross button or you move that lever or whatever and things happen and yeah it's just pressing the right buttons isn't it skiing yeah. really yeah absolutely. and learning reactions to the things that happen that are outside your control yeah yeah, yeah. which then become in your control you know, because that's all it is really it's a control box mm. i'm gonna i'm gonna take and jump you back to andorra and that's a great lesson i think of anyone who's looking to try and get into the ski industry and it still does work like that is that you don't necessarily need to, the, sorry to all the gap course providers, but you don't necessarily need to do a gap course. You can come out and do a season, ski, find a, a mentor or someone that, that is prepared to kind of teach you how to ski a little bit and then go and take your exams at the end of the season. And the, and the entry level exams to any system aren't, aren't that challenging. Um, you know, there's, a, there's another way. You don't have to sign up for a, a full season gap for sure. Um, but so, so your, your story is that you ended up in Andorra, you were, you were waiting tables and then, and then jumped yourself onto a sort of training system, took your Bayesian and then, and then where did that take you from there? Uh, then I ended up working in that ski school. So, um, you know, the, 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 back then the ski school was probably about a hundred people maybe. Okay. And it had like Spanish or Andoran side and an English side. And on the English side, I think there maybe wasn't a hundred then. Actually, there might have been fifty. Right. And but it was a it was a great training ground. You had like uh, two Bayesi trainers that were in charge of the uh, English side, hmm. uh, and then a number of sort of underlings that were at the top there. You know, like sort of Andy McCann and a few other people like that. Um, and I ended up sharing a room with Andy McCann, uh, sharing a flat with Andy McCann and his girlfriend. At the time. Oh wow! Okay. And um, so. I mean, he was a massive influence on on my early days and still is to that day. I mean, he still comes and works with me now and again, and I still hook up with him. And, uh, we end up having some really interesting chats. But we I'm, were working. I'm, I'm trying to get Andy McCann on actually because I'd love to speak to him. I know he doesn't do that much skiing anymore. He's involved a lot with his Rolls Royce stuff, but he he gave me a couple of tips once on I think uh, uh, my ISAA tech exam and that still go with me to this day. I mean, that, that guy knows more about biomechanics than anyone I've ever met. Um, and uh, and he's, I'd, I'd really love to get him on at some point. I need to organise that, really. 
Um, but yeah, uh, so, good, good, I, all I'd say to you is good luck. Yeah, because he uh, he is the most hard the hardest guy to get hold of. I mean, I, I, if I'm trying to get hold of him, it takes me weeks. <laughs> send him another message, and then when he's in Kuala Lumpur, he might give me a call or something. Yeah, yeah, he's got quite a nice gig, isn't he? That driving, going around the world and, and showing people Rolls Royces it must be uh, must be amazing. I could not do his job. He lives out of a suitcase most of the time, um, but he loves it. I mean, but like I say, when you were working in that ski school, you'd have people like that all around you, mm-hmm. and, and and your peers, and like you. I can even remember my first lesson I gave. It was complete rubbish. It was, it was like a. A, a, a spewing of information <laughs> that was just nonsense. And now about trying this, now about doing this, now about doing that, and blah, 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 blah. I'm running around like a lunatic. And then all of a sudden you looked around everyone else and they were just like, I don't know, can't even remember what they were doing. But you, they, they, you go, I've got this this person, they, I can't get them to do this. And they go, well, try this. And yeah. Try that. And then you dance someone else. So it was such a supportive thing. And then, you know, working your way up and then all of a sudden you become that person. You know, I remember like about 1988, I ended up starting, I started to be a clinician. I started to train the rest of the, um, you know, I started skiing in like 83 and by 88, you know, I was teaching people to teach skiing and stuff like that mm. in that, in that environment. And it was brilliant. I mean, honestly, I look back on those Andorran days and they were, I mean, they were very, very drink infused without a doubt. Yeah. But that's such fun and such a supportive network of, you know, the 50 or so Brits that worked there. And then it slowly grew to its, you know, to its big time when it was like over, well, over 200 ski instructors, I think, at some point. Why were, why was it such a hotbed? Why, why was everyone in Andorra at that time? Uh, I think because the drink was, was, was cheap. <laughs> um, the girls were fast. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, you know, I mean, I can remember. This is a cracking story. We used to drink in a little bar called the Naudi Bar, and uh, I'd been drinking in there all season. Like, it's one of my first seasons. I went in at the end of the season to pay my bar tab. <laughs> and it, there was a girl behind the bar that we all knew, and she was a fantastic uh, lady called Rothia. And I said, uh, "You know, mi, mi, mi cobras or la cuentas, you know, por favor." Yeah. She presented me with this bill. Now, try and imagine this is for a whole season's drinking. Yeah. And anybody knows me back then, we used to drink like fishes. Yeah. It was it was two thousand pesetas, which was was about ten quid. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember saying, Are you sure? Yeah, and she went, See? Sí. <laughs> she said, You bring your classes in here, you bring people in here and I was like, My God, I've landed in heaven. Ski all day, I drink at night and have fun with my mates and I'm almost getting paid to do everything. Yeah. So it was, it was brilliant, but that, that sounds like as though you've taken it away. The skiing was foremost. I mean, I was first on the lift. I was last off the mountain mm. most day. You know, and I just skied and skied and skied and skied. Um, you know, it, was, it was a fantastic place. So anybody that's never skied there needs to go and ski there, especially now as they've improved it. Uh, amazing. Mm. Probably one of the lift systems in the world. Yeah, it's um those those bar tabs are a funny thing, aren't they? I I I think I'm about five years sober now, so I don't really uh you know worry about this stuff anymore. But there is a bar in in Chatel that I used to frequent a lot called the Avalanche, and they ran a tab system, probably one of the last last 
existing um, uh, things like that. But it, it can be an amazing thing, but it can also be a very dangerous thing. Um, oh, you, without you know, doubt. Yeah, it's very, very easy. It's like it's like having the keys to a sweet shop in in essence. You know, you go in and everything appears to be free. You know, nights just get away from you, and you don't remember what you're doing. Um, and uh, and next thing you know, at the end of the month, you've got an enormous bar tab that you can't pay. And uh, I imagine we've all been there at some point. But it's um, yeah, I don't think there's many places that do that kind of thing anymore. I mean, that that person that used to live there that 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 person would be unrecognizable to me now because, you know, I very rarely drink to that level now, mm. you know, go out. I'm normally driving. So therefore, you know, I can't drink, um, or I'm playing in a bar. So therefore, you know, I can't, I can't get drunk anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, life has changed, but you know, different pleasures and, um, yeah, I've, I've finally grown up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of how I felt when I stopped drinking. I'm like, ah, oh, crikey, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of time here. I feel like I'm in a big hurry now in my life. I feel like I've wasted a lot of time being drunk. But um, and also, I look back on those kind of days when I would turn up for lessons a little bit hungover, and I think, oh, that was poor. You know, like I could have, I could have done a better job. And in the last five years, the, the lessons that I've taught have been, you know, exceptional because I've had a clear head and I'm able to able to think better, you know, and solve problems better on the fly um, without that kind of fog, you know, that long term fog of kind of uh, of, of having alcohol in your system and, and being a bit hungover or, or even just even when you're not hungover, still having that fog of 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 being in that place where the alcohol is in your system or, or the, the damage caused by the alcohol is in your system. I'm quite, I, I don't really preach too much about it. You know, I, I leave people to do their own thing, but it's certainly, it's changed my life for the, for the better. You know, a lot of amazing things. Have happened. Day, yeah, I do. And I, I don't know how people can carry on drinking with, you know, my, my daughter is what, about three and a bit now. I, I have no idea if I was still drinking, how I would be able to cope. Absolutely no idea. You know, imagine waking up with a hangover and your kids like you know, begging you to go and play or something. And, oh my god, no, I can't, can't even imagine it. Can't imagine mm. it. But yeah, uh, okay. So in in so a lot of people came through that Andorra school, I, I guess, and a lot of a lot of people have have sort of carried on into the industry, and you see them around all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I think somebody did a working out once, and I think through the time. It, you know, at the time of that ski school at its height, I think something like 90 um, grade ones or level fours passed through that ski school. Oh, wow. Yeah. That means like, not just like working there, but actually got trained through there. Yeah. Um, it was like an unofficial training ground really, because it never, re I mean, we used to have um, basic courses there at the end of the season for quite a while. It's more sort of known as a CSIA place now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was either 90 or 70 uh, people went through that ski school and became, you know, fully qualified, you know, ISA, uh, you know, level four or, or, or grade one, like I was at the time. Yeah. 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 So it was a real hotbed. What, um, in terms of the cultural, this is something that really interests me in general, because I like to go to different countries and different places and try and ski if I can. It was on my hit list of things to do before they shut down all the ski areas this year was to go, ski somewhere else um different country or whatever but in terms of andoran skiing like what's the what's the kind of the flavor of it 
compared to I don't know France, Switzerland, wherever, wherever else? Like, what what's different about Andorra? Uh, what their system? No, in general, like skiing there culturally. You know what well, skiing's all about. Such a, it was such a UK uh, part, really, for us. You know, we didn't really take much notice of the, the Spanish side, if you like, or the French side. It was, you know, Andorra's in between France and Spain. Yeah. So I think well, the actual like, setup was, you know, based on the ESF, possibly, or you know, a, a hybrid of the ESF. You know, it's a, it's a, what's it called? The um, way that's wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah, they share profits and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. System, yeah. What's that called? A, like um, a co-op or a cooperative or a system, yeah, like, yeah, general. That's society. it. Just like just like the ESF is. Yeah. So it was. You know, you got a bonus at the end of the season, which was handy if your bar tab was too big. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the the actual way that they taught and that didn't really influence the British side. The British side was completely separate. Yeah. And sort of, it wasn't. Was, you know, it was Basie based to, to a degree, but uh, I mean, I can remember back then there was um, this would have been late eighties, probably maybe even early nineties. All the guys that ended up being like the clinicians or the, the trainers for the ski school or mm. the people that trained you in the morning, we all got together and we all started having this idea of writing our own manual. You know, instead of having the Basie manual, we mm-hmm. would have an Anduran or a Soldado manual. Yeah. I can remember sitting there with a number of guys, you know, like, uh, kind of, can't remember, you know, the, the guys that were my sort of peers or my uh, same guys as me. Yeah. We all sat down and we wrote these these subjects out. And, um, you know, it, it was really interesting. I, I would have liked to see where it would have gone. Mm. I can remember having like things like angulation versus inclination as a globular concept. I, I can't remember that whether that was one of McCann's one or. Or it was some highfalutin load of nonsense, to be honest with you. Well, but, uh, it's funny. It you definitely... should, yeah, the, the thing that immediately jumps to my mind is I was on um, a Swiss snow sports course with uh, their director of education, Arsene Page. Lovely guy. Lovely guy. But he always said to me that, because um, the, the, one of the funny things that when you, you send a bunch of Beijing guys on a Swiss snow sport course is that they all think that the British guys ski like robots. And they kind of just make shapes and they do what they need to do. Uh, they, you know, they, they all ski in the same way. And they can do amazing impressions of Basie skiers, um, which is, is quite funny to see. And um, he was saying a very similar thing to me, actually. And he said to me, um, it, was, it was really funny. It was an analogy. And he said to me, he said to me, David, sometimes you have to be the eagle. And sometimes you have to be the panther. I was like, what do you mean? He said, uh, sometimes you just need to lean in. Sometimes you're the eagle. You know, sometimes you, and what he meant by that was you just incline and you, you know, if you're not really going for it, it's okay to incline. You know, the skis will work. You just incline into the turn. But he said, sometimes you have to be the panther. I was like, what do you mean by the panther? And then he demonstrated and then basically what he meant was then sometimes you want real performance out of the ski in certain situations you, you you would angulate. I was like, ah. And I've used that so much in, in you know in, in recent times. And I still think about it, actually, when I'm, I'm sort of skiing along. It's generally for myself, you know. What am I doing here? Am I the eagle or am I the panther? And it's um, it, it was a really, you know, another one of those little things that stuck with me, you know. And, uh, and it sounds like that's what you were talking about with, with, with that. 
Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I've, I, I would imagine we'd have got to the, the eagle and the panther or some <laughs> other kind of analogy yeah. uh, from it. But I remember at the time just going, this is just too highfalutin. I mean, you know, but even back then, and that, you know, like I say, that would have been you know, around 90, yeah. probably 80, 90, 91. We're all coming up with these things. We're just saying, like, you know, this is what Basie wants us to do. And, you know, I kind of agree with that sentiment that Basie does tend to sort of have this robotic thing. Yeah. And you know, this, this, this arm carriage that it, it irks me when I watch it. It really does. <laughs> Like the whole thing to me is it's called free skiing as far as I'm concerned. It's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm a keen telemarker. Yes. I don't like the word telemark. I prefer the word free healing yeah. you know, or, or free skiing on, on free heel equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the whole thing for me is, is the freedom of it. I, I ski or, or telemark because the freedom of it, you know, you, you can be the, the panther or the, the eagle or the horse or whatever, you know, you can be anything. Mm. And, I love that kind of freedom, but I understand that within like a, an examination kind of thing, you've either got to be too prescriptive or you've got to be open-ended mm. and being open-ended is kind of harder, but I prefer it. Um, and like people's quirks, you know, when you get somebody that's, you know, they're bending the ski like a crazy thing. They're, they're turning the ski, they're doing everything you want them to do, but their, their hands are say not in the right place. Well, well, what does, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything, does it? Your hands aren't in the right place. If the ski's working, then their hands exactly. are in the right place. And I think Basie have embraced that kind of thing, and they, they, yeah, they, they tried going along that route. But I always found when I was a trainer, the the, the, the criteria was too woolly. Mm. It was like too woolly deliberately, or it was you know trying not to be prescriptive, or it was too prescriptive. And it, I kind of didn't like that kind of thing. Kind yeah. Of, it kind of confined everything and i find that you know when i have a client or you know i try and i try and show them the freedom of skiing you know that it's a free sport whether mm. you're inclining and and you, you need to know why you're inclining or you need to know why you might may need to separate angulate whatever you want to call it mm. you know, and and that sometimes involves biomechanics that sometimes involves physics mm. that sometimes involves newton you know, or whoever, mm. but mm. it doesn't have to. You can just say it quite simply. That the whole reason why you do these things is because you have to do this kind of thing to make this happen. But you, you don't have to do it every single turn. No, because every single turn might be completely different. That's you know, right. Might, it's the nature of our sport. Right? Yeah, you might have a different terrain in that in that thing, even though it looks like a flat red run. Mm. There's some kind of difference in that bit of terrain so therefore you need more inclination or you need more separation or you need more rotary or you don't you know and that's the whole point of me is that you're learning the reactions it's a reactive sport mm. you know all the best skiers to me are reactive they're not they're not acting they're not going oh i'm at this point of the turn if we go back into old money i'm at this point of the turn therefore i've got to stand up and i'm yeah. at this point yeah. therefore i've got to sink down which is what we used to do back in the day mm. and you know, you look back on that and you kind of go, well, that was just nonsense. Why did we do that? Yeah. I still don't know if we did it. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of these things, and I, I, I do think back to, um, you know, some of the, the, the Basie stuff, although I'm not really that mm, interested in it a- anymore. But the I think back at some some of the trainers at the top end of Basie, some of the very, very senior guys don't ski very Basie at all. Um, you know, if I think about you know, images that I've seen of guys 
certain guys who are, who are the high level examiners they don't ski you know bazy style at all um you know but they've got that catch all phrase within their examination criteria which is something along the lines of with appropriate form and function and that's their get out of jail free card if they see someone waving their arms around essentially um and yeah like i'm i'm completely on board with you in terms of what you're saying about you know that it is a free sport some of the best skis you've ever, oh, i've ever skied look look incredibly free you know especially with their upper body um but in just in terms of how they're working with the snow rather than rather than actually you know being in just a position you know a strong position but i i wonder how much of basic stuff comes from trying to trying to make a framework for those guys who are learning how to ski so their sort of central theme comes or maybe this is the same for all instructor associations they tell you to put your hands in a certain place because it makes it easy to learn how to ski like that and then that then sort of filters up all the way through you know to the higher levels of their of their system um yeah but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way you know i'll I'll say to a certain you know you look at something like arms or arm carriage is is unique to the individual and it is unique to the equipment that they're standing on your your hands will naturally fall into a certain position according to how you're balanced not according to how you're supposed to hold them yeah it's a reaction yeah everything's a reaction or a um you know a consequence of something else so if you see somebody's hand carriages in a certain way it could be because where they're standing on their foot or it could be because their boot is a lang boot rather than a atomic boot or yeah. you know yeah. it, it's all it's all so interconnected it is. um it is. some people was looking for the to cure it rather than looking at the cause the cause is what's happening i mean the way i look at it i mean the the, the biggest thing that happened to me back in 95 was when i was selected to go to interski for basic mm-hmm. and we you know Apparently, we changed the world or the world's uh, perception of Basie at that time. Yes, anyone uh, from Basie will tell you that that was the key date. Possibly. I mean, you know, I was involved in that, so I, I can't really, you know, it's be wrong of me to say that that's what it was. But I remember, mm. you know, watching, say, the Italians, for instance, and then watching the Austrians, mm. and then watching the Swiss, you know, and, and all these big nations. And just going, oh my god! You know, like the, I remember watching the Italian demo and just went, oh my god, unbelievable! <laughs> and then getting even more blown away by the Austrians. The Austrians came down and just did something that was just unreal. Mm. And then you listen to the way they teach. You watch their demos of of their teaching demos, and I just remember going, why, why? You know, and, and people go, what do you mean why? I go. I've just seen these guys ski, and now they what they're teaching is complete and utter horse manure. <laughs> right. It's not linked. It's not linked in any way to the way they ski. Yes. The way they ski is draw jumping, dropping, mm. and now they're demonstrating a snowplow, and it looks like something that's looks like a horse and cart when you've just been watching a bloody Bugatti <laughs> Veyron. You know? Yeah, and I'm just like it blew my mind, and I, I remember having discussions like with McCann and Lloyd Tate and. Uh, Paul Monroe and who's called Benson by the way mm. just remember saying yeah, why are they doing this and we all just went we don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know if you looked at our our thing now at, at that thing uh, and you look at what 
you know, subsequent ones. Mm. There's kind of thing that runs through it, and that's the strong point, I think, that what Basie do. Mm. There is a strong point that sort of, you know, we're teachers, and mm. therefore there has to be some link. If you're going to do this at the lowest level, why are you doing it at the lowest level? It's because it transfers to later on when you're doing a calf GS turn or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, that might be a spurious link, but, you know, so I, I, I think that's the strength that they've got. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I mean, I honestly was blown away watching that, you know, mm. watching the Swiss, watching the Austrians. And, you know, everyone was giving us big praise and, that, you know, it was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mm. But I remember the time going, hang on, we're, we're still way off these guys if you look at our crossover from that from mm. that demo and then you look at the swiss or the <laughs> crossovers you just go they're going four times the speed we are <laughs> you yeah. know we're, we're, we're walking down the hill they're sprinting they're usain bolt you know? one of the yeah. things i think is probably the one of the key key differences of, of all of that stuff is that it's that there's a cultural element to it there, there won't be there won't be a single skier in the, let's say, Austrian, Swiss or Italian demo teams who didn't race as a kid. They, they their, their pathway will have been, I joined the local ski club at six years old and I stayed in it until I wasn't really that, uh, you know, I might have carried on, I might have skied at a local regional or even a higher level um, in the race club, ski club. But there definitely wouldn't be anyone in those in those those national teams race clubs, um, uh, interski teams who hadn't raced as a youngster, and that shows. I think that shows a lot. Um, I think it shows, and I don't think that necessarily. I think that's a strength and a weakness at the same time. Oh, I agree, agree. But what I'm saying to you is that the, the the reason that they would ski like that, you know, in in a completely different way to to those of us that you know grow up if you're from if you're from in you know in a london um there was no ski club at six years old so you're playing catch up all the time without a doubt you can't compete with them on the, the skiing front or you or you might be lucky enough to do that but mm. i think the strength of you know some of the lesser nations is that their teaching skills are, are much much higher mm. um you know I've, you see it every day on the hill yeah uh, with with, uh, you know, I mean, don't get me started on that one. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I was blown away. I couldn't believe the difference mm. um, in accuracy of you know, what they were doing. But then appalled at their demos or the low end demos or their teaching strategy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, I, I think this is what I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I, I'll say it again for the benefit of this. So I'm, I'm actually seeing this in real time with my daughter, right? So she, she speaks three languages now, and I'm not, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. She speaks three languages as a consequence of going to crash in French. Um, my wife also speaks fluent French, so occasionally they they switch from French. But my wife is originally from Romania, so they speak between them. They've got a secret language. Um, so they speak Romanian when they speak speak to each other. Um, they think that I can't understand it, but I'm starting to pick it up. But, so, but don't tell them that. And then <laughs> together, together we all speak English. And then I only speak English to my daughter. So when she tries to speak French to me, I just say to her, I don't understand. And so we, we only speak English together. But she she's now picked up three languages, more or less fluently. She can talk, you know, and, and switch 
and mix up sentences between different languages, um, all without really knowing that she can do it. And then what's going to happen later is, so she can already ski, right? So this, this year, just before they shut all the ski resorts down, we finally managed to ski from the top of Morjan down to the bottom. Um, and she hasn't, or she, when she's a little bit older, she won't have any kind of idea of what it was like not to be able to ski. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, so, so, and that will be the case for anyone on the Italian, Swiss or, or Austrian demo team, right? They have no consequence, uh, no concept of what it was like to be a kid growing up in London and learning to ski for the first time. You can remember your first time on skis. I can remember my first time on skis. And so you learn as an adult. So your empathy is a different, different kind of teaching empathy than it would be if you grew up on skis. And that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest differences between the teaching of locals and um, and guys who have, say, come up through the, the, the majority of people that have come up through the Bezi system. Oh, big time. And yeah, I, like I say, I think that's a strength. I mean, oh, it is a, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, because the clients love it a, to a to a, a good level, which mm. yeah, hopefully me and you are at. Um, we're not we're not bloody Didier Kush or uh, anyone like that or Lindsay Vaughn, but no, you know, the understanding that we've got mm. it, it is is second to none, really. If you if you especially if you keep yourself going for that, you. You constantly, I'm constantly learning from from students. You know, mm. you know, you know, I've been lucky to have some really, you know, intelligent and good students that, you, and you've been with them long enough that you can actually learn from them. They, 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 they tell you stuff. You know, it's not a one way street when you're teaching somebody. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're you're right, and and this part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is is, is actually it's just to kind of continue my own personal learning journey really I couldn't find anything on snow that 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 suited apart from the occasional kind of refresher here and there and um did a refresher actually at the start of the year with with um with Jazz Lamb and I actually learned something there which was I wasn't expecting to do and that's no reflection on on Jazz I'm kind of just assumed that it would just be a bit of a ski about but actually I got something out of that that I've taken with me for the whole season um, and so as long as you're open to continuing learning new things, I think it's, it's, it's good, right? It keeps you fresh. Surely you've got to be. I mean, if you're in this business, if you're not keen to, you know, have your mind switched around or. I don't think stuff. everyone thinks like that. I think those, yeah, I think sad. exceptional teachers that, yeah, it is sad, but I think, you know, exceptional teachers do. Um, are open to continuing to learn new things, but I, I also see some people who are around who just do this because it's a way of making a, a, a bunch of money during the ski season. I see that, and I see those guys, and they look cynical and they look jaded. But you see them around. You must have seen. You must see a few. Oh, like that too. You see them all the time. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. PTO, you know PTO? No, paid turns only. <laughs> yeah, I know loads of people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually, I, I, in fact, a couple of years ago, I slipped into that myself because I was kind of I think a, bit, bad times were yeah, a bit lost, you know, but um, but not anymore. And and actually, that's been really nice. You know, the times I managed to get out this season and just go skiing for myself, work on a couple of things, and it was actually really cool. You know, I was like, well, oh, actually, you know, I haven't done this for a while, um, which is which is you know, eye opening, really.
I hope that you're enjoying this podcast with Joe. I certainly had a really, really good time when I was recording it, and uh, and I love hearing all of these um, all of these old stories from uh, from the old days and, and what it was like. Uh, in, and, and certainly, we haven't heard from anyone about what it was like in Andorra, um, you know, back in the day. Um, in the second half, we move on to uh, um, to talk about uh, a bit about telemark, which is um, you know, Joe does quite a lot of that. Um, some teaching and uh, and in particular a couple of memorable teaching sessions that uh, that Joe's done that I've um, that I've been a part of. And then um, lastly, we, we we start to talk about music and music as a, a, a what well, music in terms of relation to skiing, but also in general and and a couple of other interesting tangents that we went off on. So. Uh, so that's great. Um, I hope you enjoy this podcast, uh, and I hope it's um, I hope it amuses you a little bit. Um, you know, while we're we're all stuck in the house, um, a couple of good ones coming up uh, for sure. I'm just uh, setting up a few now. Um, obviously, everyone's got a lot of time on their hands, so uh, so hopefully, I can uh, I can keep these going. So uh, yeah, um, enjoy yourselves, uh, stay safe, and uh, I'll see you um, on the next one. Now tell me, since we're on the subject of exceptional teachers, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna blow a bit of smoke up you um, because the reason I wanted you on is I, I I think you're you're quite an alternative thinker for for skiing in general and, and you had a big impact on on my skiing um, and I love to ski with you I think it's brilliant but the 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 we we first met on I think it was the Basie Telemark one course. And there was a very famous lesson within that Basie Telemark one course, um, which you know what's coming, which <laughs> a lot of people coming. still talk about, which was the sminky pinky, uh, sminky pinky Telemark lesson. And uh, listener, the Joe Joe managed to deliver, and it must have been at least at least half an hour, if not an hour, of Telemark instructor level tuition only using the words sminky and pinky it was exceptional it blew my mind that one and uh, I don't know but you, I imagine you're just going to tell me that you came up with it on the spot and, and you just kind of ran with it but but that was um, that was a really interesting time and a great course lots of people on that course went on to do some really cool cool things uh, yeah I can remember that I mean uh, I don't know whether I think I probably did it in the before your course. I'm not sure it was on your course because that came up when I was running a level two course, I think. Oh, I thought and, it was um, special to us. You just ruined it for me. I thought we were well, special. It, w- it would have been special to you guys because, you know, I'd probably refined it by then. No, mate, go on. Been, Carry on. Yeah. Basically, I ran a course where there were, um, I had two Russians uh, a Norwegian, um, a couple of English people, and somebody else. So, like, uh, let's just say, and a, and a, and a Martian, you know. <laughs> so there was a load of people on this course, but there was only two English speakers on it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the two Russian guys kept falling over the fact because their their English wasn't that good. Mm. You know, their English was good, better than my Russian, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, all I knew was Tavaric and Ojijovnia. Okay. Um, but... Um, Two more words than I know. 
Well, there you go. I know um, Bustreya, which means hurry up. I use it a lot yeah. with the international school kids that I, uh, I coach for football. I only know it because I like opera. And there's a, a Russian opera. Oh, I'm going to write that down. I didn't know you were to opera. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ochichornia is uh, Black Eyes. So listen to a song called Ochichornia. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good song. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, these guys, when they were delivering their sessions, you know, they were, um, and you, you, you've come across, everybody's come across this. You know, they, they were stumbling over their words and just getting too long-winded. So I said, right, the next session you're going to deliver, you're only allowed four words. And they went, what do you mean? And well, you just used up four there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how? And I went, that's another two. <laughs> you know, and yeah, but everybody's seen this on basic courses or on any course you've ever been on. You know, and I just said, look, I'm trying to restrict your, you, you don't need that language. You know, you, your, your English is good. Your English is good enough to deliver this session. Mm. Stop trying to overcomplicate things. Just use simple words. So um, they, they went, well, can you give us an example? So on that spot right there, I said to them, and I started off in Spanish. Uh, I said, like, this is the last um, English word you're going to hear from me. Yes. And then I just I went, cuando gira uh, los esquís, blah, blah, blah. Does anybody understand Spanish? And they went, no. And I, I went, right. And then for some reason because they were Russian, schminky-binky came into my head. <laughs> so I started, I, I made them understand that schminky-binky was lead change, mm-hmm. which is the same thing that you would have seen. Yes. And I just ran through um, you know, schminky-binky, and if I was doing it like quick, quick inflection, it was a quick lead change. If I was doing it schminky-binky, it was a slow lead change, and then blah, blah, blah. Right? I went through all that stuff, but I also, whenever I gave the uh, feedback, it was either a thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumb sort of horizontal. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I managed, and you, you, you were there when I did it with you guys. Yeah. Like I said, we refined it by then. But, um, you know, I managed to give them feedback and I, uh, you know, give them evaluative feedback or, you know, command style feedback or, you know, uh, guided discovery feedback or whatever. And I, I made them all break it down. We sat down afterwards and like we probably did with you, mm. saw how many things that are within the Bayesian uh, criteria we could we could you know, identify within the lesson. Mm. And then it all went, oh my God, you know, you managed to do a better lesson than any lesson we've had this week with just two words and a thumb. And I mm. went, well, there you go. Stop letting, you know, dialogue or language get in the way of your teaching you don't need to to use a, a sentence when you can use a, a word mm. you don't need to use a, a paragraph when you can use a sentence you, you just you need to pricey everything you need to, need to make everything precise and um brief and um you know so then people went out and did it you know i look back on that and i you know i've used it and adapted it but i think you guys were the second second group i'd ever used it with you know, well, it's sta- it stayed with a lot of people, so you can, uh, you can, you know, and for me, that that lesson in brevity was 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 a very useful one. In fact, I was thinking of you a few years after when I had to do a lesson in Portuguese, and I had I, I don't speak Portuguese, and I asked the mother to write down four words for me, and did a three hour session like that. Like you don't, you just all you need, don't need anything else, especially with kids, right? Because kids are very visual in terms of the way that they learn, so you can use a lot of gestures and a lot of action. But you get a lot done if you can tone down 
tone down your 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 long-winded explanations um and that's one of the one of the temptations for guys going for for, for instructor exams and stuff you you kind of there is the temptation to get bogged down on on you know in multiple topics and and deep winded explanations because that's what they see you know other trainers doing to them you know this sort of ugh, drives me crazy you know, on instructor exams where all we do is stand around and talk um and not actually get any skiing done and uh and, and there is another way right you know brevity is is your friend in, in most instances yeah there's a there's a time and a place for everything but to to split the atom on every single point that you're trying to do, you're not doing anybody any favors. Mm. You, you know, unless the person, if you've got somebody in your class who's who's into that, then great. You can talk about it all day. It's brilliant, you know. But for the person, if you've got more than one person in that group and the other person isn't into all that, they're bored out of their mind. All yeah. they want is like tilt your ski more. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> or, Tilt your ski less. Let's go. Well, I'm yeah. I am one of those people, unfortunately. So I, I like to understand the background in something before I I, I, I try it out. Um, I'm not very. I'm not one for. I'm not probably of that activist mindset where you you know you give them one little thing and say just go and try it and they they love all that stuff. I'm I, I need the detail, but I, I recognise that other people aren't like that, and you can see them when they're standing in front of you, right? You you can see an activist, and you've got to. You've got to keep them moving. And those guys, like you say, don't respond to, to, to kind of the detail so much. They just want one little thing and to go and try it. Um, that's a, that's one of the difficult things in group situations is when you've got different people like that. So you've got to you've got to make your lesson fit the people, haven't you? And, mm. you know, right. And it's like I said, when I used to have a, a school teacher that I used to teach, she was actually a trainer of head teachers. And the, 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 the conversations we used to have on the, on the chairs I loved it, man. I mean, she was absolutely brilliant. I'm still in touch with her now. She she tends to do most of her skiing in Switzerland now. Right. Um, so uh, maybe I'll stick her your way, mate, if she's in your neck of the woods. Well, yeah, or you're welcome over the border, you know. We're not going to turn you away for sure. Exactly. But she was, I mean, we used to have the chats we used to have. And, like, you know, she came to me as a sort of, um, her husband said, you're my last, last ditch effort. You know, what, if, if she doesn't like skiing, <laughs> I don't think go skiing. No pressure. So like, oh, no, pre- no pressure there then. <laughs> but you know, so we we would like she'd say to me, I'd do something with her, and she'd go, I see what you're doing, and I go, What do you mean you see what I'm doing? She'd go, You know, you're using this technique, teaching technique, and I'd go, How do you know about that? She'd go, um, I train head teachers, and I went, Oh, brilliant! And honestly, absolutely amazing. I mean, just yeah, you know, the converse like I say, the conversations on the chairs were just unreal. Yeah. And like, she knew what I was doing, yeah. but she could still see it working. Yeah. And she would be able to identify the teaching style or the learning style or the you know, the delivery style or whatever. And and she'd say, you know, when you do it like that, try this. And I'd go, Oh, Helen, thank you. This is brilliant. You know, it was the best best course I've ever been on. <laughs> I was getting paid to teach her. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Now, yeah. when we when we went for a telemark blast, and oh, it's such a shame because I didn't get to catch up or ski with you this year, but last year, we um, you were on a, a uh, your current. Well, I don't know whether it was something that you were experimenting with or whatever, but you were thinking a lot about opposites last year. I don't know whether you still are, but um, do you want to expand on what that was that 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 thing you were thinking about at that time? 
Uh, well, let's put it this way. I've been working on on that. I call it opposites. Mm. I've been working on that since, once again, about 1989. Okay. Right? I mean, it's been with me for a long time, and um, you know, I'm happy to share it. I mean, I, I find a lot of people are not happy to share what they, their armory, their little, their little little nuggets they don't they want to guard them why so i'm having to say these sort of things yeah. it's not gonna basically okay go on. no no what i was gonna say was I, I don't know why you wouldn't you know it's that it's not like a no, client I'm... is going to choose someone else because they know that little nugget they're not buying you for that reason no you know? but uh, yeah they, if this helps somebody great you know I, oh, that's good I, of you. I, I, i've got loads of this kind of stuff but basically back in the day you know when um you know once again it would be sort of Andy McCann time. I was probably sharing a sharing a, a, a house with him, um, and we'd be talking at night over a you know, bottle of wine or whatever, and you know, whatever was going on then. Mm. And I, the, the first thing that would have come into my mind about that time, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but somebody had said like, you know, ski backwards, which we call switch these days, right? Mm. So ski back. So you're skiing backwards, and you go right. What does everyone notice? You know, uh, well, we're all leaning on the front of our boot. Yeah, so we're all leaning forwards, right? Mm. Which I hate, I hate as a, a phrase anyway. You never hear me use it as a, yeah. as a phrase. Yeah, with you. Um, but so as soon as people start skiing backwards, they lean forward. So whoever, whoever was talking about this went, well, you know, that would be the equivalent of leaning really, really far back when you're going forwards. You wouldn't do that, would you? And you go, well, no. So you go, right, so let's ski forwards as if we're skiing backwards. You know, or let's ski mm. backwards as if we're skiing forwards. They're trying basically what they were saying then, but without the words, they were saying, you know, we should center, we should be in the center, mm. whether we're going backwards or forwards. We don't need to lean forwards, we don't need to lean backwards. We we have times when we're forward, we have times when we're backwards, or we're trying to center. So that would have been a thing that would have been stored away. I've got a very strange mind, Dave, and we won't go into my mind. It's really <laughs> no, it's a real rabbit hole we're doing again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a longer that's a longer session but, uh, around the same time somebody would have said because i remember in my first two holiday you know ski holiday uh, weeks of lessons mm. the main thing that was told to me back then would would be hands forward and lean forward right so they're the yeah. two things that's and then around that time i can't remember whether it would have been mccann or whether it would have been somebody else but it would have been somebody in that circle would have said you know you're 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 trying to force your hands forward. You know, have you ever thought of putting your hands behind your back? Why would I put my hands behind my back? Surely your hands should be here. This guy would have said, well, "Well, just try it. Put your hands behind your back." And at that time, if you if you stand in a pair of ski boots, and it's, it's going to be different for everybody. This is not an outcome that's going to happen to everybody. But if you try and lean forward with your hands far forward, what you'll normally find is that your shin comes off the front of the boot. So in all intents and purposes, you're leaning back. Yeah. So this guy said, put your hands, fold your hands behind your back. And I put my hands behind my back. And immediately I straightened up, but my shins went on the front of the boot. And mm. I went, oh my God, this is a revolution. Right. Mm. And th so I'm thinking back to like 1984 or something like that, when those things happened to me. And I've locked them away in my um, opposite straw. So what you what I tend to do is when I'm teaching people, you know, I'm not looking for the problem. The problem is the thing that's staring you in the face. I'm looking for the solution or I'm looking for the cause. Mm. And thinking outside the box is what most people 
would be, you know, understanding. Yeah. So you, you know, whereas you think this is what's going to put the thing right, just go completely out of the bag, go completely off the wall, and you'll find you get some amazing results. And just like that one. Mm. So, um, you know, like for instance, the thing I think I did with you would, would have been was it was it what would it have been? Uh, we like were talking most people. Yeah, oh, sorry. Well, sorry, we, I think we were talking about. Well, it was just a general conversation because actually it was to do with we were we were telemarking, right? So actually, the one that really helped me was was um, uh, it was edge change before lead change. We, we were talking about okay. that, but but we then got around to the subject of opposites in general on Alpine, and you were talking to me about withdrawing the the pressure from the snow the the pressure of the ski from the snow rather than thinking about pushing the ski down onto the snow you know with the inside okay. foot and the outside foot to change your balance and um that was the one that stuck with me and i was like oh okay that you know it it, it made um it made me think for sure cool and, and being made to think you know and changing perception and changing focus changes performance so you know any of those little things that do that, they may, they, they, they may stay with you, they may just change something and then, you know, you're on to something else. Mm. But the one the one that really sticks in my mind is, for instance, like if you talk to a client, mm. and I had have, I have it, you know, a number of times this, this season, you know, they, they've had lessons before or they've, you know, they've been to Austria or they've been to wherever and all of a sudden you've got these guys. Mm. But the phrase that, the two phrases that will stick in my mind that they will always use, one is lean forward, which I try oh, to dissuade when yeah. I talk about centering. So we, we go through a centering kind of thing. Then the other thing is that the phrases they use is they go, yeah, I understand what you're trying to get me. Do you want me to dig my edges in? I go, no, I don't want you to dig your edges in because, you know, let's get, let's get fundamental for a minute. Mm. The, the, the force you're using is centripetal. It's not centrifugal. Mm. The, you know, you're not, you can push the ski or press the ski into the snow, but pressure is a result of edge value and speed. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a reaction force. It's not it's not you. Cre- you know, you're creating it, but you're not creating it by always pushing down. So what I say to mm. them is, I am not a I'm not a digger in of edges. What I'm thinking of is the edges that I'm not using. I'm lifting them off the ground. Okay. That you get the same result, but one of them is with muscle power. Mm. The other one is with finesse. And I always go finesse route first because you can always add strength in. But if you start off on the strength route, you can't always add finesse in. And, you know, like, for instance, you know, skiing with people like Alan Baxter, you know, you go out skiing with Alan Baxter, and if he's in a race course, he's obviously wringing the neck of everything he's doing to try and win the race. Mm -hmm. But if you ski with people like that, they don't do anything. Go on. They don't do anything. <laughs> go, go, go ski, go free ski with Didier Couch. Mm. If it's not racing, he won't be doing anything. He, obviously, he's edging. Obviously, he's inclining. Obviously, he's separating. Obviously, he's doing stuff. But you won't see him doing stuff. You'll see him do stuff in a race course. Yeah. So for me, trying to get people to go to those opposites and like, uh, right at the very end, just before the mountain closed, I had a family and I've skied with the mom before. 
Mm. She said, you please do me a favour. Will you take seven of us out? One of us is on a snowboard. Right. The rest of us skiers. Yeah. We're all sort of similar levels, but we're not. And my husband's the best skier and my son's pretty good. And one of the girls would be the weakest in the group. And I went, not a problem. I said, you know, I loved skiing with you before when you were with your mates. Let's go out. Mm-hmm. And the weakest skier in the group, and all of them for that matter, they all went, when I when I went through this lifting skier, I said, don't think about trying to make pressure. Let's think about lifting the edges we're not using. The light bulb moment within all of them was just off the scale. And the weakest skier in the group, she came over to me and went, oh my God, you've just changed my whole world <laughs> with one little thing. And I went, Brilliant. I said, keep playing with it. I said, mm. if I start talking about something else and it interferes, you just hang on to that one thing. Don't worry about anything else to do. And she kept coming over me. She went, lifting those edges. She just went, it's amazing. Nobody's ever said that to me before. And, you know, so that's the opposites for me. Mm. Um, you know, just trying to flip things completely on the other side. Mm. You know, that's my philosophy on that. If you want to, if you want to call it that, it's just. But it all stems from you know, things that McCann has talked to me about, or things that other people around that same time. Mm. You know, if, if you want to get a result, don't always look at the result. Flip it over on its head. Um, I can't remember what the thing was we did on the day with you. I'm sure it was the edges thing, but. We did, yeah, we did. Uh, we did definitely talk about it. Um, I'm not so much. I don't think it works so much on a telemark concept um, because uh, my own my own personal thoughts on, on telemarks is that it's very much a, a kind of two edged sport. Um, you know, you're looking for more of like a fifty fifty uh, across the two feet. Um, but but certainly we talked about it in, in an alpine context. And and actually, funny enough, now I'm thinking about it a little bit more. It's very similar to what Jazz was saying on that CPD day that we talked about a little bit a while ago. But he was talking about in a sort of carved GSE type turn. He was talking about on the inside ski only having, he specifically said only the weight of the equipment on the snow. So in, in a similar sense to what you're talking about, withdrawing the pressure from that inside edge, and literally just having the weight of the ski and the boot on the snow. It's funny, that does something biomechanically inside your hip um, hip joint that, that, that causes a sort of longer outside leg or, or more pressure to arrive on the outside ski, um, which I found I found to be quite quite useful, and I've used that a lot in, in the season in the season just gone. Does that 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 sounds like a similar sort of thing? Yeah, I mean there's no yeah, like they always say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, you just you just use. I mean, you change the the wording, you change the the focus. You just do whatever you can to get the person to do what they're doing. I mean, like the pressure thing for me. You know, why, why is there a light phase in a turn? You know, it's just a really simple question. Most people would say it's because I've unweighted my skis at the start of the turn. Mm. Well, to me, it's not. It's because you've gone flat. Yeah, yeah. Your skis have gone flat, so therefore you've returned to your, let's go in my case, you've returned to your 15 stone. And then when you find your edge, mm. pressure builds up through the turn. Yeah. Then obviously you're dealing with more, you're not dealing with more weight, you still only weigh 15 stone, but the pressure, the centripetal, 
competing forces coming back at you mm. can be three G, can be could be four G if you're going fast enough. Yeah, you know, so your pressure is created. You can create more. You can resist. You can use resistance of, of your muscles and your skeleton to increase that pressure. Mm. But that pressure is basically coming as a result of what you're doing, not just because you might be pressing down on the stone. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, and that, that's not. That's not rocket science. That, that's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. So, it's it's well yeah. one one. I don't believe for a minute you weigh fifteen stone. But secondly, um, the the I've been experimenting. Well, I I very rarely teach pushing as such, pushing down onto the snow or pressing or whatever you. The I'm, word slightly, is you I'm slightly applauding you here. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't think. It works for some people, right? For, so for, there, there are a, a sort of subset of people who like to push on or press into the snow, and for them it works. But I don't. I, my, I've been going down the route lately, and I think it's something that is that is that is undertaught massively. Is the the steering or the rotation of the ski, and I think, and I use this in my own skiing. I've found out that I'm a very um, steering based person i like to steer my skis and and i think you can do everything that you need to do on the mountain as a result of how much you steer the ski across the hill and this is a this is a my own kind of rabbit hole that i've been going down in in the last couple of years or so and and if you steer the skis I, I, I'm with you, I think, on this, and I didn't really think about it and make the connection until a minute ago, or two ago. But the pressure comes as a result of how much you steer the ski, as well, opposed to the other look, way around. If you look at steering, steering, steering is a is not just one thing, is it? No. Steering is is, is rotation, edge, and pressure. Mm. You know, and if you've got more edge, you know, and you're going fast, you get more pressure. Mm. If your ski is not as much as not not got as much edge mm. and you're rotating more you won't get as much pressure mm. so i agree with you but it, 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 you know why do people think that you've got to push the ski into the snow to make it turn you haven't mm. I, I, I i've never got that you can i'm not saying you can't but it, it, you don't have to no you can do mess if you if you increase the edge from like five degrees to ten degrees Different things are going to happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, you're more working with more. Different things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, and that rotate. Sorry, the rotation of the ski. In my opinion, it comes back to something that Peter Kuhl said to me once that, that he was talking about this, this concept of the virtual bump or this sort of pressure dump that arrives at the end of the turn if you're if you're sort of if you haven't managed the pressure around the turn correctly. Um, you know that that is where it would arrive. It's when you're, you know, when you're really turning the skis quite aggressively across the hill. Um, you know that's when that big pressure arrives. The pressure isn't there if you're just kind of making a snaky turn down the hill. Um, it, 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 I'm sure it's a consequence of turning more than anything else. Mm, okay, let um, what, you go on, go on if you want to. No, I don't. I, 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 there's nothing I can, you know, I can contradict or you know there's other things you can add there's other things there's other ways of saying it but that's what teaching is surely it's it's but it has to be based on some kind of truth mm. you know, and the truth is always going to be biomechanical or and or physical mm. you know, from physics 
you know, the, the, the things that happen are a result of what you do. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Tell me, um, let's let's jump into. We've been going quite a long time now. Let's um, let, tell me a little bit more. Let's jump into Joe the Joe the person because you have an alter ego, which is Joe the Joe the musician, um, Joe the strummer. Um, mm-hmm. When when did you start start playing music? There's a surprising amount of uh, ski instructors who are musicians. I've noticed there's a definite correlation there. Yeah, um, I've met a few of them. I mean, like if anyone knows, uh, Rue Goldring is an amazing uh, harp player. Is he? Not no harp, way. Uh, you know, harmonica player. Really? Um, I've jammed with him a few times. Okay. Uh, I think he guitar as well. Um, huh? There's loads, loads of people. Um, you know, I always take my. I always used to take my guitar on basic courses, and there was always a jam or a or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I into playing the guitar. Roughly around the same time as I did skiing, to be honest with you. Okay. So my brother showed me my first chords on a guitar. Yeah. Um, Space Oddity by Dave, David Bowie. Huh? Uh, C and E minor, if anybody's interested. Okay. Is the open chords, and I just sat there for weeks, just you know, jang, 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 jang. I just sat there until I could play that thing, and then I had to learn A minor for the next bit. Yeah. And. Um, you know, I just was, once again, I'm kind of, I think I've got that addictive um, gene. You know, I could mm. quite easily have been, you know, a, an alcoholic or a, a drug user or something. But yeah. luckily I got into sports more than anything else. And then same thing with the music. I mean, I've just recently got into writing my own stuff. Um, it's taken me you know, 30 odd years to write a song. Mm. I've now got five Five songs under my belt and working on a lot more at the moment. Oh, cool! And, and I just find that they complement each other because you know people are really into mindfulness at the moment, mm. you know, meditation and stuff. Well, I find and people around me may not find it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially when you're learning. I yes. used to drive my wife mad, going, "What's this?" And I play her a song, and she'd go, "I've got no idea." And I go come on, it's one of your favourite songs. And she'd go, I can't hear it. What is it? I'd tell her and she'd go, sounds nothing like it. You know? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, about five years in, I'd be sitting there strumming away and she'd go, oh, is that, um, you know, is that the Beatles, blah, blah, blah. And I'd go, yeah. And she'd go, oh, I'd recognise that one. And I'd go, oh, all right. <laughs> um, but that, that meditative state, you know, just sitting there strumming away on a guitar or you know, working out a song. or Yeah, yeah. Um, I find it all the same. You know, once again, there's a crossover. You, know, you press on the strings, you know, then there's a re- reactive force. Do you press hard? Do you press soft? Do you, you know, there's all kinds of different stuff that you can do. And um, yeah, so I find my order really. Um, you'll find me online and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, what we'll do later on is we'll um, I'll ask you where we can find you, and we'll we'll put some links into to, to where people can find you. And uh, and also your music for sure. Um, the, the the you're you're right. I think in in that way, modern life is so busy, isn't it? Like, there's so much going on that I'd strongly encourage anyone to find what their thing is that 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 allows them to go into a little bubble and 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 just you know find that calmness of concentrating on one thing for an extended period of time. We're we're in an we're in an age now where there's just this sort of general digital and information overload, and 
it's nice to be able to get away from all of that. I found that, well, I, I was talking to you last year about how I'd taken up the guitar, but the, as it turns out, the guitar doesn't really speak to me like it does to you. Um, so I've kind of put it away in a cupboard, which is a shame, but it's it's not, it's just, just didn't work out for me. But what I have found, I've found that, that mindfulness place on, on motorbikes, funnily enough. And that's where I go if I want to get away from everything. Um, you know, it's just me, no noise, no music, no nothing, just me inside a helmet. And I've actually got quite a lot of really good thinking done, you know, while I've been out and about and trying to find that, that harmony between, you know, all of the four different parts of my body working to make this machine work, work in an efficient way. Um, and I think, like I say, that it's, it's a really useful thing to have in, in, in modern life. This, this ability to kind of get yourself away, you know, into, into your own space. And it's not like we haven't got enough time at the moment now that well, we're under house arrest. Yeah, under house arrest. We're, um, well, we're quite lucky here in Switzerland in, in that we haven't, you know, people here tend to follow the rules quite quite carefully. So, so we're, we're still allowed a certain, well, allowed, still allowed a certain amount of freedom. So I've I've been whenever I can. Unfortunately, my um my bike is at the at the at the mechanics at the moment having its uh, service. But as soon as it's back, I'm gonna resume my um my one or two hours out in the afternoon because it really gets me away from kind of being in the house I'm like a caged lion at the moment. You know, prowling around the house looking for stuff to do, and um it's it's nice to have that that option to go away and just sort of clear your head a bit and come back. And I feel so refreshed after. And I would imagine it's the same with you, you know, once you pick up your guitar or whatever. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, um, yeah, any whatever that release is, whatever it might be, you know, if you're into meditation, which I find the guitar very meditative, mm. um, yeah, you've got to do it. It's all part of your well-being. You've got to, um, you've got to switch off sometimes. And uh, I'm quite good. I mean, this this kind of, um, it's not house arrest, really, is it? go for a walk it's house arrest joe it's house, you're fined if you go outside it's house uh, arrest. not here not here you know you wait it's the same in france no, it is if you were still in libio you're fine if you go outside where you're not supposed to be it's house arrest yeah, but you, as long as you've got that attestation and you're you're not you're exercising within a i think it's 100 meters of your house and all that kind yeah of stuff. yeah I mean, i'm feel really sorry for i mean now we're on that subject right yeah. I feel really sorry for people that live in blocks of flats. So it must oh, be an can you imagine? Nice, yeah, yeah. I live in a really nice part of the uh, of Essex. Mm. Yeah, I'm straight out to fields. Yeah, you're only supposed to exercise once a day, but we live where there's nobody. Yeah, you just there's go. Literally nobody around us. So, yeah. you're walking through the field out the back of my house. Mm. Nobody's going to see me. No, you know, I don't see anybody. So. But if you lived in a block of flats, man, oh my god! Oh, I, can you imagine? I, no, I, it must be really I, difficult. That goes out to those people. You yeah, know, stay sane. Well, not I, to let you know, I'm going online every day doing a song online, and uh, a lot of people are following it at the moment. Yeah, I, just, I, I, I saw that. That's really cool. I'll, I'll link to, to that as well. I'm just trying to, you know, brighten people's lives up. You know, they can send a request in, and if I know the song or if I can learn the song, mm. you know, I'll, I'll do it. So, you know. Um, Feel free to send me a message with your favourite song. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you might not like my favourite songs. I'm. Um, it's funny actually. I'm just about to sit down and write a blog post about what something my um, social media guy came up with. Hi, hi Jim. Um, is uh, is is you know what we as ski instructors know 
from our experiences teaching kids, you know, how, how that can translate into you home, homeschooling your own kids. I've got to work on that later, um, write that up, because uh, I think we've got, you know, we've got some, some ways that we can add in, you know, some of the stuff that we do in terms of our work that, that we can really bring to parents, you know, while they're, while they're having to do, do all this work, extra work at home. Um, tell, tell me, just to, just to jump back into music, tell me about opera. I think I'll, I'll put my, my cards on the table. So before before um, my daughter arrived, um, we haven't been probably since then, but um, my wife loves the, the, the Geneva Opera and, um, and she has, well, I think she had a season ticket there or she would go online and buy, buy stuff. And I don't think we're very far away now from, from being able to go back again. But I absolutely loved it. Like it, it's a so hark back to an older time you know, so you get dressed up, put your suit on or whatever, you go down there, things are done properly, it's a beautiful old building, and you see these kind of, um, these these beautiful productions, with the amount of work that goes into it, and the, the history and all that stuff behind it, it's, it's just a really civilised, nice place to be, and I'm not a particularly, as I've discovered, I'm not a particularly musical person, but I just... The, the staging of it and and the stories behind it is what really does it for me when I go I think I think it's brilliant I think it's absolutely brilliant it, it, it's amazing um I mean I haven't seen a lot of operas I mean I've watched them on TV I've been to I saw Carreras at Royal Opera House in uh, Covent Garden mm. uh, saw Pavarotti there as well oh wow um, but um for me I mean it, it just I, I mean it's quite funny if I drive to work and somebody comes near my car in the morning in the J yeah normally I'm putting my ski boots on and all you can hear is opera oh, blaring really? out and uh, people go what are you listening to <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm like oh a bit of opera and they go really and I go I love it man I mean um, there's there's a couple of things that if people are you know want to access to it watch um What's that film with Denzel Washington in it? The um, and Tom Hanks about the uh, AIDS victim guy. Oh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Don't watch the whole film. Just fa- fast forward it or look online yeah. to the bit where Tom Hanks is describing Maria Callas singing "Mama Morta." Right. And um, if that doesn't make you cry or at least well up a little bit, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Another thing. Have a look for. Uh, Pavarotti or anybody else singing a song called Rondid El Nido. I probably said it wrong, but it's basically the bird in the nest. Okay. And if you listen to that, right, if you, in the opening bars, it's a flute or a, I think it's a flute. Mm. And it, it sort of it wibbles about. And if you can't see the bird flying around in the sky yeah. while that music is going on, there's something wrong with you. Mm. And then you don't need to, it's in Italian, you don't need to understand the words. You know what the words are. Yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. A, have a listen to that song. Uh, I, I know the words, uh, but it's just evocative. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody. It's just like some people are really into like heavy metal. Mm. But some opera, some opera and some classical music is heavier than heavy metal. Oh, for sure. So I was just about to say this to you. So my, my, my wife's quite, quite, she likes the, 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 the fun operas and the, um, you know the romantic ones, but I'm I'm really we we've been to a couple of where uh, we went to the really dark ones, you know the Germanic ones, 
where you know you've got proper you know forces of evil and all that sort of stuff and i love those ones i really like those it's ones. Powerful, I like the villains it's really powerful yeah yeah it is proper stuff you i'll know? tell you what i'll tell you where i got into it from uh, this is a beginner's guide to it really which is really good mm. is the uh, Walt disney film fantasia oh right if you watch that it actually just tells you how music is music is maths basically yeah which i'm never good at at school no me, um, you and me both you can watch like Mickey Mouse and all those characters in, through the through that that film, mm. and then watch like um, I can't be you know, the Night on Bear Mountain. <laughs> I mean, my God, you can see the clouds rolling in, you can see the thunder and the, yeah, and yeah. the fire. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you can listen to the you know pixicato bits that are, you know little angels dancing around and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, music to me is, is is definitely an escape. It takes you to places that you know skiing takes me to. If I'm skiing down a, a hill, you know, I'm and I'm alone. Mm. You know, the, the the bit for me, the the social bit of a ski is skiing is mm. is is on the chair. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, the skiing bit to me, I'm I'm I can be anywhere. I'm I'm in Jackson Hole or I'm in Taos, New Mexico, or I'm yeah. in, New Zealand in Treble Cone or I'm in, you know, wherever, you know, I can, I can just, I've got that kind of boy, boyish mind where I can just, I can be anywhere I want to be. And the, the guitar and, and music does that for you. And I yeah. find the similarity with skiing is just amazing. That freedom is just, it's just addictive. I mean, I am addicted to it without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Are you, do you hear music when you ski? I can do. I, I did used to wear a Walkman back in like the eighties. I, I and funnily enough, I would have opera on a lot of the time. Do but uh, in like let's say you don't have music. I, I don't ski with music either. Um, there's there's too many voices going on in my head to put music in there. But the do you <laughs> do you do, do you hear music when you ski? I can do. Yeah, I can do. Um, not all the time. Sometimes I'm just sort of you know just got like a a, a complete freedom of blank mind yeah um, other times i'm you know thinking on whatever i'm working on at that moment or other times i'm just you know i've got a particular song in my head sometimes i've got the wrong song in my head mm. you know when you one of those uh earworms that you can't get rid of oh god yeah i do you know i had that recently with um which is taking me i can't listen to it anymore because it, it just invades my head constantly is that i i cannot i've had to stop listening to the smiths because right. because I cannot get the the well one is the lyrics but mainly it's the guitar riffs the Johnny Marr guitar riffs out of my head if I listen to the Smiths too long so I've had to stop well, listening to it. It could be worse, mate. It could be the Birdie song. <laughs> well, it could be. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're right, but I've, yeah, I just can't I can't listen to it anymore because it just constantly plays in my head. It's really weird. It's like something in my brain matches with that music like so much that it just sticks and it sticks weeks, weeks and weeks. It's in, I still wake up now, like, you know, singing the, the, the lyrics to, to certain things. It's really strange. Really. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether there's like a frequency thing, you know, that the way that it's played or, or the, the, you know, I don't know the, the, the pitch that it's done, whether it, it tunes into people's brains. And that's why, why people like certain types of music over other types of music. I wonder. Oh, there's definitely that. If you if you study, uh, there's loads of stuff on that that yeah. I could tell you about. 
to take for hours. Yeah, we only save it for certain frequencies that really go into into people's mind. Really? Right. Oh, yeah. And chord progressions that really, you know, are resonant to to people. Okay. It's like, I'll tell you one little thing here. If I hear a major seventh chord in a song, it's subconscious with me, but I will love that song. Oh, really? Uh, so if you think of Albatross by uh, Fleetwood Mac right. or uh, Band on the Run by uh, Wings yeah. and a million other songs, they've got major sevenths chords in it and they just resonate with so me. So they're your, your things. How about that? Oh, man. It's, if I like a song immediately, yeah. I, I, you know, I try and learn it and it normally has a major seventh. Hmm. How about that? That's strange. They'd say that I'm sure that there was there was I read somewhere once that a lot of Michael Jackson's songs were popular because he hit a certain note a lot. It was like I don't know, it was a high note. I can't remember which one it was, but apparently it was um, it was it was that's why he was mega popular at certain times because the, the human mind resonates with people that can hit that high note, whatever that one is. Uh, yeah, that, that, I, I would. I don't know that. Mm. I'll have to look that up because that's going to interest me now. So okay. I'll be looking oh. that up when we're finished. Yeah. Just to find out what it is. Yeah. But like, for instance, you know, uh, Under the Bridge by uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yes. You know the bit where it stops and there's like a stab of a chord? Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of goes, it stops and there's a ringing chord. Yeah. That's E major seven. Oh, okay. And that gets you. Oh, as soon as I heard that song, I was like, wow, that song is amazing. I need to learn it. I learnt it, and when I got to that bit, oh, it's a D major seven. <laughs> about that, I'm sure. Right, I don't don't quote me on this, but those Michael Jackson stuff. I'm sure it was like a high. I want to say A, but I don't know. So you'll have to go and research that yourself. But I'm sure I, I read somewhere that that was the case. Yeah, most opera singers, the high note they hit is a is a high C. All oh, right. Uh, not many people can sing a high E. High E is is, is uh, mm. phenomenal. It's it definitely something I don't know where I heard that and I don't know where I read it. So, you know, Dave, I'm going to be looking wrong. that up. So, thank you for giving me something. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, Joe, I think we've taken a lot of time already. I get a lot of flack for doing long podcasts, but this is, uh, I, I just can't get enough of, of, of chatting with you. And, uh, and you know how much I kind of, um, how much I, I value, you know, skiing and, and, and chatting with you and all the stuff that I've learned from you. So um, it, give yourself a plug. Where can where can people find you for both skiing and, and music? Uh, well, um, I run a little uh, thing called Alpine Learning Curves in the Port de Soleil. Uh, it's just me. Sometimes it used to be McCann as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you can find me on that, alpinelearningcurves.co.uk. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got a book out, which anybody, if anybody's interested in, you can find that on Blurb Books. Just look up on Blurb Books. My book is called um, Free the Heel, Free the Mind, Fix the Heel, Fix the Problem. Um, Alpine and Telemark Tips by Mr. Joe Beer. I've read and, this book, by the way, and I can fully, I endorse this book. It's fantastic. I, thank you, mate. Um, and uh, last but not least, uh, Joe the Strummer. I'm all over uh, Facebook. I'll be going live for a, a song at about two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, there's online gigs on all over the place. Um, obviously we can't play in pubs and clubs anymore at the moment so all my stuff is online so uh, yeah you find me on all the platforms Joe the Strummer um, uh, on Facebook uh, A Alpine LC underscore JTS on Instagram and just do a general search and find me but there's loads and loads of videos and 
and songs and all that. And then obviously I've got my um, original stuff coming out when I finally get around to doing all that stuff. That's really cool, isn't it? I mean, and it's never been easier to publish your own music, I guess. So, uh, so yeah. It's like, there's a lot of, isn't there a lot of bands now? I heard something like, um, is it Muse? Who just completely haven't got a label anymore. They're just producing everything online. I don't know. Oh, there's so many people doing that now. And it, it's kind of refreshing, but it, it's also harder in some ways because, I mean, I'm not doing it to sort of get paid as such, you know. Yeah. Although I do get paid. Um, you know, when I play in a, play in a pub or a club, I, I get paid for it. But, yeah. you know, I just want to get my music out there and see if people like it. And so far, the um, the feedback to one, the book, and, and two, the music is, uh, is, is quite good. So oh, that's really you know, cool. Well, look, thank you for, for being a podcast guest. I really appreciate it. Um, Mate, anytime. And let's go skiing next, uh, next Yeah, week. yeah, let's do it. Let's do it earlier. And I, like I say, because of this, and we talked about it this year, I'd love to get you in front of my team. Um, we did a really, really good one the year before with PK, and he, 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 you know, guys were raving about it. And I, I kind of want to get you – know, my ego's not so big that I would say to people, yeah, I'm the only guy that can lead you know ski school training sessions. I'm, I'm interested in – in other people and getting getting my guys to think a bit differently so um let's get you on board for for something like that for for the next season we'll get you booked in no problem dave um look after yourself and just by the way mm. people don't know but you'll always be swedish dave to me <laughs> yeah yeah well i look even a bit more swedish i'm trying to grow a beard in this <laughs> this period period of time and uh I, i'm not sure mrs burrows is very pleased with it but um but i'm going for this sort of uh Norwegian explorer look, but actually it's coming out a bit like um, Prince Harry or former Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince Harry. Um, you, you, you're ginger, are you? Yeah, I'm ginger in my beard. Yeah, it's weird. Snap, I'm ginger in my beard. Yeah, I, I don't think it looks very good, but I can't, I've got nothing else to do until my motorbike comes back. So I might as well just go for it. Well, Dave, you stay safe, and everybody else out there, please stay safe, and we'll see you on the other side of coronavirus. I pretty appreciate that. Thanks, Joe. Cheers, fella. All right, mate. See you soon. Bye-bye.